Arch Manning. Oh, Arch right? Manning. Think about this. For the first time ever, we're talking about a true bidding war for a high school athlete. I, I think if you really put a pencil and paper to it, really put a pencil and paper to what the possibility of Arch Manning, he's going to have three shots at winning national championships, would mean to the value of the donations, the right. ticket sales, the jersey sales, the interest in, the ability to recruit top students and athletes across the board, what the real value of Arch Manning could be would be so far in excess of $2 million, yeah. it would be almost impossible to put a number on it. All right, welcome into the uh, Chris Collinsworth podcast, coming to you live from Orlando, Florida, as I wait for my third grandchild to be delivered any moment now. So uh, if I dash out of here, <laughs> you'll know what happened. Uh, but joining me today, the world traveler, the uh, the man about town, Mr. Sam Monson, who just got back from a two-week fundraising journey with your dad. Uh for Advent Healthcare, I think is is what it was for the charity raised about thirteen thousand dollars, but had to suffer along the way as all great fundraisers have to do. You went across the country in a car with no air conditioning. Is that somewhere close? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, technically it had air conditioning, um, but A, it was a car from the 1960s, so the air conditioning was terrible. It only blew air at your knees, which didn't do you an awful lot of good in the, the desert heat. And then B, whatever air conditioning it did have died uh, somewhere along the, the, the trip. So quickly it became a reasonably useless AC to being a completely useless AC, which when you hit, you know, the, the Southeast and Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Florida, and it's 90 plus degrees and humidity, that became a bit of a grind after a while. So you even had sweaty kneecaps by the end of this whole thing. Oh yes. Yeah. Sweaty everything at that, by the end of it. Yeah, that was, that was rough, but yeah, we raised $13,000 more than that now um, for cancer research. So it was a good trip. Good for you. Now, how did you and your dad get along for the duration of uh, two weeks? Were there any uh, any moments where you go, oh, yeah, now I remember why we don't hang out every day? Well, so that was the the other benefit is that, you know, you have to have no AC. So the windows are down the whole time. You're traveling at like 70 miles an hour in an E-type. There's you can't hear anything. Right. So there's there's not an awful lot of conversation that's happening along the way. Um, the only time it got reasonably stressful was right at the last day actually um the, the starter stopped working on the car so you could only start the car by bump starting it right get it rolling drop the clutch and fire it up but of course anybody of my generation and younger has no idea how to do that because modern cars just start right <laughs> so i'm in the driver's seat and he's getting irate that i have no idea how to bump start this car and and you know, getting more and more frustrated at uh, my lack of ability to drive a car from the 1960s. <laughs> uh, very good. Well, it sounds like a heck of a trip. We are going to, um, we were talking about today exactly what we could do. And of course, now I'm already into my reading season where I'm trying to read everything in sight that has anything football related onto it. So I'm, I'm trying to do that. And I've been reading some magazines and doing some different things. And I started putting together a, a, a list of like the top 10 most interesting people in football this year. All right. You buying this premise? You, you mm -hmm. okay with I like this? It. Yeah. Top 10 most interesting people in football. And I, I'm sure I'm leaving a million things out. I gave you all of one hour notice to think <laughs> about this, which is really good for me. I usually I'm not that kind. So I, I had a few, I, a few that did not make the cut. Can we start there? A few that did not make the cut. Um, I'm, I'm really intrigued by Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa together with the Chargers, right? That's a good football team. They've got a lot of good stuff. And, and that combination is intriguing to me if those two say healthy, but they didn't make the cut. 
the Raiders, and as a general thing with Josh McDaniels, Devontae Adams, Chandler Jones, what that does to Derek Carr. Interesting, didn't make the cut. Uh, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, just now no Tyreek Hill, and now we're going to Juju and Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Sky Moore, and, you know, that, to me, that's intriguing, that, that conference, that division, is the toughest part of, of maybe of all of football, but it wasn't, it didn't make the cut. Tua, even Tua didn't make mm. the cut. Now Tua is way up there on the interesting scale. Yeah. You would agree with that, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is, this is Tua's make or break year. He's front and center all of a sudden. And for the first time, I think there's, there isn't really a massive excuse for him. They've given him receivers to throw to. They've tried to fix the offensive line. They've given him a good offensive system. Now it's all on him. Teron Armstead, Tyreek Hill, Cedric Wilson, Mike McDaniel comes in as the coach, bringing the San Francisco system. But it was eh, it's still, you know, it's over-discussed at this point, I think, over-discussed. Um, I, I really wanted to put this one in there, but I thought it was unfair. Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. So much of the NFL this year and last year's draft seemed to be about, oh, there's no quarterbacks that we like this year because we like these guys next year. And those are the two headliners there. And I think they're both good players, but does, does Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud move the needle enough this season to make us go, oh, okay, forget all those NFL quarterbacks out there. We're good because we got these two guys. But that didn't make the cut either. Because it was like, you know, we it was an unknown. It was an unknown. It didn't make the cut. Um, Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll, I really wanted to put on the list, <laughs> right? I mean, 70-year-old rebuilding in Seattle in a very tough division. That's That had to make the cut. That didn't make the cut. It was wow. close. It's hard to get on your list. Yeah, it's hard to get on my list. That's true. Um, Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, always, what are they, 7-0 and last year, finished 4-6, and out of it, and get hammered in the first round of the playoffs. Not quite. As a general thing, wide receivers, the Chargers now with the first team to have two $20 million receivers. Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, both there. Tyree Kill making $30 million with Miami. Devontae Adams, $28 million. A.J. Brown, D.J. Moore, Stephon Diggs, Amari Cooper, DeAndre Hopkins, the list goes on and on. Now we have D.K. Metcalf, Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin, all sort of badgering for that same in the $25 to $30 million range. A lot of stuff to talk about that. Very interesting didn't quite make the cut. All right. So now we've got a lot of things that it, maybe we do part two when we get desperate in the <laughs> middle of May to do another show, but those are the ones that didn't make the cut. So I, and you can feel free to chime in anytime. If I have something different than you and I'll give you an equal opportunity at the end of the show to go, no, you dumbass. this is what you completely forgot about. And how could he not make the cut? Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair. All right. Number 10 on my list. Number 10 on the most interesting things of the 2022 football season. Somehow there's a battle between Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan. I don't know exactly what that means, but in my brain, it feels like some sort of battle between Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan, after all these years in Atlanta, he comes over now to Indianapolis because Carson Wentz didn't work out there, had to go. Carson Wentz is going to have another stop. He's going to go to Washington. Now, Washington is going to be playing his old team, Philadelphia, at some point during the course of the season. So as we look at number 10 on our list, Matt Ryan versus Carson Wentz, who's the winner of the battle between those two? Yeah, I, I think that the Colts managed to upgrade somehow. Now, it's not a long-term upgrade, but for them to get Matt Ryan after rolling the dice that they could patch Carson Wentz back together, you know, and get that 
earlier Philadelphia version of Carson Wentz. Maybe not the 2017 guy, but when they brought him over, they were talking about 2019 Carson Wentz, and we could just get him back to that kind of level, and it didn't happen. And they were it felt like that offense last season was running with training wheels on it. So that Carson Wentz just didn't make a mess of it. And even then there were a couple of games where he did. Um, and then they, they completely cut bait. They're like, no, this isn't working. We're done. We're getting rid of him. We're moving on after a year to somehow not just get, you know, pretty decent return back for trading him away, but to then use that and pick up the pieces after the, the Matt Ryan Atlanta Falcons kind of divorce I think is really incredible business by the Colts. And I think they've ended up with the better quarterback for 2022, you know, Wentz maybe a better long-term option. If just because I think Matt Ryan is, you know, on the downslope of his career and might not have too much left, but for this year, I think he'll be the better player indoors for them. Uh, here's the thing that, that struck me about, about Wentz last year. It wasn't that he lost his mobility, you know, it wasn't his knee. It wasn't any of that stuff. He just had the ability to miss wide open guys that they schemed open. I mean, guys that were just running free down the field. And as I look at him, there's something weird about his motion. And I, I think that more and more of these quarterback gurus are teaching this sort of, and I'm going to have to back up to show it here a little bit but teaching this flip, flip the ball upside down and away from your body to come back and throw. Now, inherently, that doesn't make any sense to me. You never saw Dan Marino do that. You never right. saw Joe Montana do that. You never saw Johnny Unitas do that. Nobody flipped the ball upside down and came whipping around. And why does it, why does it make a difference to me? Well, one, I think it takes longer. Two, I think the ball security is in real jeopardy when that ball is flipped upside down. Now you just have to smack the top of the hand or the arm or whatever, and that thing's gone. Three, you're taking, so if you're going up and out to throw, right, that you've got that other hand on that ball for the longest period of time. And so what are all these young quarterbacks doing, whether it's, you know, Daniel Jones and Carson, they're leaving the ball on the ground in the pocket more and more and more. You probably can come up with five examples of, of what I'm talking about. But I just wonder now is the is the era of the quarterback gurus. Are we are we trying to reinvent a wheel that doesn't need to be reinvented? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think a big part of um, what we've seen in recent years with you know, Josh Allen has his whole mechanics reworked and his his uh, fundamentals change from the ground up. And all of a sudden, Josh Allen goes from being a fundamentally inaccurate quarterback, one of the least accurate quarterbacks that we've seen come into the league, but also in the NFL um, and adjusted for, you know, depth of target, all those kinds of things to being one of the more accurate quarterbacks in the league. Like he didn't just go from inaccurate to somewhere in the middle and suddenly it's not a problem. He went from inaccurate to genuinely good. It's a strength of his right now. And I think you're starting to see this idea of we always thought you couldn't you couldn't teach accuracy, right? It was something that was either there or it wasn't. And if a quarterback was going to come into the league and he was inaccurate, that was going to be a problem that would dog him throughout his entire career. That was just part of who he was. I think now you're seeing the change and people say no you can you can fix that right inaccuracy isn't most people are inaccurate because of a technical mechanical flaw or a breakdown a, a something that comes up every now and again if you can fix that and if you can get that out of their motion you can change a quarterback's accuracy and maybe you don't have time to do that in the course of like general coaching of a guy but now with the rise of these QB gurus and guys like Jordan Palmer they go away in the off season and spend months doing nothing but working with these, you know, gurus that work on mechanics, that's time to change emotion. And, you know, maybe you can't, maybe you can't take Tim Tebow's motion and turn it into Dan Marino's, but you can take a guy who's got one or two hitches or problems or issues with their motion and get rid of those. And all of a sudden you can materially change how a guy is throwing the ball and, adjust you know whether he's going to be accurate or 
you know, make serious inroads into what he can do as a quarterback. Uh, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, a couple of guys with the physical tools that we've seen improve, you know, when they get to the NFL. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to put down all quarterback gurus. I just think there's some crazy thoughts out there. It's like, it's like a new golf swing. Like, okay, there have been great champions all along that have been really good at swinging a golf club. Let's at least pay attention to what they did too, right? right. And how they did it. And so anyway, so I'll, I'll, you'll hear a little bit more about that from me as this season goes along. Uh, number nine on my list, that's number 10. Number nine on my list, of course, and I, I really didn't want to put Tom Brady on the list because that's just boring. <laughs> but, I, but I had to, I had to. Because it is so intriguing to me that he wants to be a broadcaster. And maybe it's only because I've done this for a long time and I know the amount of work that goes into it and the amount of time away from your family and all that sort of stuff. I can't wait to do my first interview with them and it'll be the first week of the season and go, why? Like, why? I mean, so you're going to go from you were gone and busy and working you know, 16 hours a day during football season. And now you're going to retire. And now you're going to be gone and busy and working 16 hours a day <laughs> during football season for money. I mean, you know what? So I, I'm, does he just want to stay relevant? Does he just want to keep the social media and all? I, I, I don't know. What, what's your best explanation of this? I mean, 30, what is it, 35 and a half, something like, what is he getting paid? 37 uh, and a half? I, like, I think that he's getting, if I, if the rumors are true, that he's getting about 20 and then another 10, 12 to be some ambassador, which probably okay. means he drives around in a Fox car. I don't know. Right. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, that's a lot of dough. There's no yeah. question about it, but money cannot be the motivating factor for them and not just him, but that family in general. No, sure. Like, I mean, you know, he's, he doesn't need that money. Obviously he's made a lot of money in his career. On the other hand, it is the kind of money that will keep you motivated for that kind of thing. And if you wanted to do something post football, I think, you know, you'd know better than I would, but I'm sure a lot of these guys, when they get to the end of their career, it's like, I mean, I can't just stop, right? I've been, particularly Brady, right? 20 plus years of this, of full throttle the whole time, you know, week to week schedule, get ready for the game, get ready for the next one. It's, it's, there's no stop. And I'm sure he might want to tone it down a little bit, but you don't want to go from that to freewheeling, right? For the rest of your life, for the next 40 years or whatever it is, and just, go hit the golf course all the time. So I'm sure he's looking for some kind of transition of how can I keep busy, keep doing something, keep in the game. Um, I don't want to do coaching. That feels like too big a grind. You know, I don't want to broadcasting is I think probably the next obvious thing. And if they're willing to throw him 30 something million dollars a year to do it, it feels like a pretty reasonable compromise. Uh, you know, it is, it, but, but he had the shining example in front of him with Peyton Manning, right? Peyton Manning to me was the one that cracked the code. I Peyton called me and before he, when everybody was recruiting him and I just, I said, I'm just going to tell you what the job is. Okay. Right. I'm just going to lay it out. I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to tell you what the hours are. Um, and you decide what you want to do. You know, if that's what you want to do, then great. But I mean, the basics of it was that, you know how much work you did getting ready for the other team's defense? Well, multiply that times six because now you've got both offenses, both defenses, and special teams, and a bunch of coaches you never heard of. And you got to have something prepared for all that stuff. And it's not that it's it's fun to do. I like doing. I like my job, but it's a lot of time, you know. Right. But so what did he do? He did some second screen thing from his living room with his brother. And he had four guests on the show in case the game was boring and, and it became a little bit of a sensation, right? That's, and they only did whatever, eight, nine, 10 weeks, something like right. that. I go, you're a genius. You are a genius. He cracked the code. And then Tom didn't do that because in reality, do the game announcers move the needle that much or would a second screen broadcast be more valuable to your particular network because now you're basically doubling down in some way 
on revenue generation, whereas any broadcaster doesn't really create new revenue during the actual broadcast, I don't think. Maybe John Madden, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that whole world is fascinating right now with the money that's flying around for all these guys. You know, Troy Aikman, Joe Buck getting brought over to Amazon, the the Drew Brees thing, the amount of money he was given right up front to, to come and, and be that guy, Tom Brady's thing, all of a sudden, it's broadcasters are acting like those guys generate a ton of money for the for the broadcast or for something. Um, and it it's coming without necessarily knowing if those guys are going to be good at the job going to be able to put in the grind going to be able to know everything about everything once they're in front of a microphone yeah i i guess it is the unknown part of that right it's do we see is tom brady going to be great like he has been at everything so far or is this the one that he falls off the high wire because it's a high wire act believe me i go into every broadcast Nobody in the world is speaking on live television for three hours every week without saying something stupid, whether you're the president of the United States or the Pope or anything else. That's why they all have press people and they they put together crafted messages and they they put it out there in a form that is perfect. And that's Tom's world. That's been his world. Anyone he's getting into, man, it's like it's it's I can't wait to watch it. I know he'll be great. I know it's going to be interesting. Uh, you're going to hear things that you haven't heard, you know, I mean, who wouldn't want to hear, okay, Tom Brady's at the line of scrimmage. What was he seeing, right? What should that quarterback have been seeing on that particular play? It's going to be great, but it's, it's, it's the work, you know, he's going to be working at it. So moving on to number eight on my list, but I can't wait to talk to Brady about that one. Number eight, Ezekiel Elliott. If I'm not mistaken, I think this is the final year of guaranteed money for him. And so now we're already beginning to hear stories of Tony Pollard in this expanded role, right? With Dallas, they're playing him in the slot. They're playing him. They're going to use him as a receiver, as a running back, as all these different things. Uh, I think everybody at PFF would basically agree that they, he got paid overpaid for the running back position. It's not that valuable. We value offensive line over running backs. We think you can plug and play, but over the last two years, Ezekiel Elliott has averaged 62 yards rushing a game, 4.2 yards per carry. Tony Pollard over the last two years, 5.5 yards per carry second best in the NFL. So Ezekiel Elliott now goes into this season really with something to prove. I mean, and that is a heavy burden depending on on what they're going to Mike McCarthy and that offense allows them to do this year. Yeah, and and Tony Pollard hasn't just sort of outperformed him in those box score numbers, but when you start looking at things like yards after contact and broken tackle rate, like Pollard isn't just beating Zeke, but his numbers have been right up there with guys like Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb for the very best in the NFL in those categories. And obviously, he's got a lower sample size to work with. It's probably easier to have higher figures when you don't have the kind of workload that those guys have. But his workload is in that category of like, we have to give this guy more carries, right? When you're performing that well in any normal situation, that guy would have like earned himself significantly more carries, more touches, a bigger role. He'd be the starter, but he can't be the starter in Dallas because they gave Zeke Elliott the giant contract and you can't kind of back away from that and have like the only thing worse than Zeke Elliott on Zeke Elliott's contract and underperforming is Zeke Elliott on the bench on Zeke Elliott's contract and underperforming. So they've been stuck with Elliott in the starting role, and it's kind of been the root cause of all the other cap problems that they've had, the Amari Cooper thing, like every move they've made, feeling that they've been under like uh, squeezed against the cap, it's because of the Zeke Elliott contract. Like, you know, they, they talked this year about how sort of upset they were that Amari Cooper was providing like a value deficit relative to what he was getting paid. I mean, sure, but not nearly as much of a value deficit as the Zeke Elliott thing, but you can't get rid of him because you still have another year of uh, guaranteed money. So yeah, it's another year, I think, where it's going to be fascinating to see how they play that dynamic 
if Pollard continues to outperform him, like at some point, that's a move they have to make. You know, it's so interesting when you go back and you start looking at the numbers, the Dallas Cowboys had the number one offense in football last year. I mean, it's it, like, who thinks in terms of that with the Dallas right. Cowboys, especially the way it ended against San Francisco and uh, that whole thing. But I mean, you're right. I mean, if, if you could pick and choose which $20 million contract you would have kept, <laughs> it would have been Amari, right? But no, that's not going to be the way that it goes. Speaking of that situation, Trey Lance in, in San Francisco comes in as number six on my list. This is one of those situations where they spent so much draft capital to move up and take a guy that had two games last year, uh, basically one game the year before at North Dakota State, uh, and they are betting the farm that he's going to be able to come in there and add one component part that has been missing, and that's the run ability from the quarterback position as great as they do those outside zones, inside zones, bootlegs off of it, play action off of it. Jimmy Garoppolo never really was a running type threat. And if Trey Lance can show that he can do that, then that's certainly going to be an exciting part of it. If he cannot accomplish that and Jimmy Garoppolo is traded or not traded in a worst case scenario where that salary gets stuck there. This is a really good football team that was one dropped interception away from going to another Super Bowl last year uh, that could be in trouble this year. Yeah. The, the Trey Lance thing is really interesting. If you sort of rewind 12 months, that, that idea is still there of Trey Lance plus Kyle Shanahan and everything he's been able to do with this offense should equal something special. And, you know, remember Kyle Shanahan, you go back far enough, you're dealing with RG three in Washington, all the things that that offense was able to do. Um, He's had like a decade almost to sit there and think about what he could do with a running threat of a quarterback, a guy that can do all the stuff in terms of play action off the back of that wide zone game but also the way the game has gone and, and kind of connected the run game and the pass game in a way they never really were before he's been, the game is sort of headed in that direction. Anyway, he's been at the forefront of it and Trey Lance potentially gives you, gives him the ability to do something new, unique, something that doesn't exist anywhere else in the NFL. That should be so exciting, but it's really curious to me how they've treated that since drafting him. Um, he didn't really play much year one. Obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo kind of stayed more or less healthy, but they didn't even really have like a package for him that I would have expected, you know, something that they'd kind of been working on and just a way of getting him on the field and starting that process of integrating him into that offense. That never showed up at all. And now I'd be interested, like, what's your read on it? The, the, the kind of feel you get from the 49ers is not one of like over effusive praise for Trey Lance. And we love this guy. We were hundred percent sure he's the future. We're just waiting for the right trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, but this is Trey Lance's team. We're so excited. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, he's the quarterback. We'll, we'll go to Trey Lance if and when, but right now it's you just, you don't seem to get the feeling that they're absolutely in love with this as an idea. I don't think they know yet. I mean, he, he played against Arizona. He ran it 16 times, got hurt, you know, sort of the worst case scenario for that. He played again in the last game against Houston. I think it was at the end of the year through for about 250 yards in that one. But I, I think there's so much unknown. You get the upside of what he can do running the football but you also get the downside of the unknown. The one thing that Garoppolo could do was play action and make an accurate throw to a backside slant or a hook or something, a seam or, or something that fit within that offense. So you're going to run it great. You're going to go hard play action off of it. You're going to go bootleg off of it and create some easier type of throws. And you would assume any quarterback could make those throws. But Garoppolo, the one thing that he does have, he has a quick release. 
He has an understanding and a lot of years in the league to know what he's seeing and why he shouldn't make that quick throw backside or whatever the case may be. And I, I just, I, you know, I, I think it'll be a full year of an experiment with Trey Lance and I'm not sure what they'll get out of it. He may, he could be great. You know, you, he may go back to RG three's rookie year, you know, who knows what this could end up looking like uh, in this offense. But I, I, this one's, this one is really that this has a really good football team on the brink of going one way or another, uh, which I don't think they quite envisioned it that way when they, they made this deal. Uh, number six on my list, Russell Wilson. Yeah. And I'm already starting to read some stories. I know Nathaniel Hackett pretty well. And th there's all these stories and Nathaniel can handle just about anything. Right. But I don't know that there is a quarterback playing today that has all the stuff going on that Russell Wilson has on. I, we were at two broadcasts of two different games this year. And one of them, Russell was, wasn't in the game that we were doing, but he was on in uh, the, the city. I think we were in Baltimore and he was playing Washington, something like that, or vice versa. And I, two weeks in a row, I saw Russell's private jet, which is a hell of a jet out on the runway. And I wouldn't have recognized it except Jack, my son, he knew what it was. And so there's this entourage, you know, he's got not just the quarterback, he's an entrepreneur, he's a social media megastar, he has a wife who's a singing megastar, internationally known. This is a corporation that is playing quarterback now for the Denver Broncos. And it's nothing wrong with that. I think that Russell Wilson has the kind of energy that allows him to do all those types of things. But if you're Nathaniel Hackett and you're looking for an old school, traditional way of playing the quarterback position, especially now with a new ownership group and this Walton uh, Penner group that's coming in there and paid $4.6 billion, this is a new day in playing football and playing quarterback. Uh, and you're going to have to be able to incorporate and make allowances for him for what he does with a lifestyle playing that position. Yeah, to me, the most interesting thing about Wilson with the Broncos is, so for years, Seattle had this like challenge, right, of the, the, the let Russ cook thing. And it was basically... Like, how do you get the best version of Russell Wilson? Because he's clearly an amazing quarterback. Now, even then, you've got to kind of say, well, he's, there's been like three different levels of Russell Wilson. He's been really good. And then he went on a little run where he was as good as any quarterback in the NFL for two, two and a half seasons. And then he kind of fell back down to earth a little bit. And we didn't see the best of him towards the end in Seattle. So the first question is like, which one of those guys are you getting? Are you getting the the kind of standard baseline are you getting the best version or are you getting uh what we saw towards the end and then the second thing is to what extent is the way he plays the game and the the stuff that Pete Carroll was kind of getting criticized for in Seattle to what extent is that just Russell Wilson like you can't Russell Wilson I don't think can play the game the way some other quarterbacks do and I think a large part of that is is the height thing right like it's not that the NFL didn't dislike short quarterbacks for no reason. They disliked short quarterbacks because it caused problems with them seeing the middle of the field and, you know, hitting those rhythm kind of plays over the middle and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's not that that's necessarily a terminal problem for a quarterback, but it means if you're not going to do that really well, you need to do something else really well. And Russell Wilson does. He's figured out that if he can run around in the pocket and extend plays and, back up a lot of the times out of the pocket and sort of around the back, he'll engineer something different and he'll engineer one of those deep balls downfield to Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf or, you know, now Cortland Sutton or Jerry Judy. And that'll offset a lot of kind of inefficiency, but there is that inefficiency still built in there. And I don't think we really know yet, like what is the best balance there? And is there an offense that maximizes 
the easier, efficient stuff and just gets the chains moving better, um, but doesn't lose the kind of special magic of those moon balls that makes Russell Wilson so incredible. So I think we just kind of assume that you plug Russell Wilson, great quarterback, into this Broncos offense. Obviously, it's an upgrade of what they had last year. But I think how where the ceiling is of that, I think, is still a total mystery. And we've kind of been assuming that it was, or a lot of people have been assuming that it was basically Pete Carroll didn't know how to use Russell Wilson the best. But I think there's a reasonable chance that like this is Russell Wilson. It's not, it's not Russell Wilson being hemmed in by you know a dinosaur of a coach or a guy that didn't know how to use him. It's like this is part of the problem with a quarterback that plays the game the way Russell Wilson does. Yeah, I mean, not only was that an issue in Seattle, but it was also Nathaniel Hackett's last job. It was a situation with Aaron Rodgers where he had to be convinced that being able to establish a run game and work within the scheme itself and to take the plays that were schemed instead of constantly trying to be mobile and move around and create on his own. And and it'll be interesting to see how that balance on the field with the play calling and the offense and the balance of trying to coach Russell Wilson off the field with all the different things. One of the most interesting guys. All right, Sam, now I'm going to do what I always do, which is try and tippy toe across lines that I know are just explosive here, but I think that they have to sort of be addressed together. So we'll make these three through five or something because these are so significant. I can't remember a year in which there are more sort of hanging issues over the NFL quite like this year at the beginning of the year. And you go, you just go down the list here. You've got John Gruden and the lawsuit that's happening with him. You have Deshaun Watson and all the civil lawsuits that are circling around him at this point. Brian Flores brought a lawsuit against the National Football League with what has been happening with minority coaches in the NFL. And even Dan Snyder in the news with controversy um, with his ownership and you know what he's been accused of um, over the past year. That's a lot. That, that's a lot of stuff to be thinking about that has nothing to do really with the game of football that is going to be very front and center for this entire 2022 season. Yeah. Um, And so you just want me to be the, we're wrapping it up, right? We're not going straight into the conversation. We're chopping that from the the last one. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you, I mean, if you want to make a line about, yeah, no, thanks. I'm not dressing it, you know, or any of those kinds of, Whatever you would do. It's less important, honestly, that you don't, you know, it's more important that I don't completely trip over. I don't want to take down the entire company with one (laughs) podcast of 650 people listening. Yeah, I mean, I think those are definitely three of the most interesting aspects of this entire uh, upcoming NFL season. But the less either of us talks about them, the better (laughs) in terms of, you know, maintaining, maintaining a podcast or maintaining employment or maintaining not being sued. Our life, you know, in general, as we know it. Yeah. Um, God, there's so much there with all those situations. Um, It's unfortunate, but I also feel like there might be some real good that comes out of it. I mean, if we get some issues put on the table that we can all dissect and examine and hopefully discuss without people getting canceled just for trying to discuss them, uh, maybe we'll all be better off for it. The Chris Collinsworth podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. They do everything over there. Luckily, you've got a first round pick in helping you make the right money moves. So there you go. Do you need life insurance? They've got that. What about help planning for your financial goals? Always important. So don't pass up on these very important picks. Use your position to expand your financial education and learn more with information on life insurance, investing, and retirement planning only at our friends from Western and Southern, westernandsouthern.com slash draft. 
Right now, you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use code, wait for it, Collinsworth. <laughs> there you go. What can you get with a PFF subscription? All, all of PFF's locked article content. There's a ton of that. Fantasy football rankings and projections coming out very soon. Get way ahead of your competitors and don't ride naked in the back of a pickup truck or whatever the punishment is. Data and grades from the entire 2021 season and upcoming 2022 season and so much more. Support the podcast, all the great young people around here. Use code Collinsworth for 25% off any sub. Um, number two on my list, and maybe this is a little too high based on the what we've just been talking about, but Sean Payton to me is a very interesting person because you have hanging over him the whole concept that he retired or stepped down thinking he was going to get to coach Tom Brady in Miami and either a four or five million dollar or four or five year contract for a hundred million dollars so either 20 or 25 million per year to go in and be the coach there uh, is still, I guess, in the mix for some broadcasting jobs in and around. But you also know of all the rumors for Mike McCarthy that if it doesn't work out in Dallas, is he next in line? He was very popular with Jerry Jones there in that situation. So it's amazing a guy who is utterly out of the NFL lands high on my list of the most interesting people in the NFL for this season. This this feels a little bit like um, you remember the start. You were wondering like what was the like what's the motivation for Tom Brady to go into broadcasting after he leaves football. I don't quite understand the motivation for Sean Payton to not want to coach the New Orleans Saints. To whether it's Miami with Tom Brady, whether it's Dallas um, and Dak Prescott. I, I just I guess I understand that you know he was hitched to Drew Brees for the majority of his career, and that was incredibly successful. And not having Drew Brees is obviously a major um, issue in terms of his coaching uh, future with New Orleans. But it kind of feels like he's not going to get it much better than that, right? In sort of institutional legend, franchise hero, um, relatively unimpeachable legacy, you would think. Even without Drew Brees, he was able to win games with Teddy Bridgewater or Jameis Winston or whoever it was. I just don't quite get the motivation to be so interested by one of these other deals and like the Miami one would have been a pretty short-term gig, right? Assuming Tom Brady is not completely robotic and able to play till he's 55. Like, I, I just don't, I don't see what's so great about those in terms of his, his opportunity and, and him trading in new Orleans for it. You know, maybe, and I have no idea. I have no insider information on this maybe he was trying to force the trade. So in other words, if Miami had come to him and said, listen, we want to trade for Sean Payton, they would have Saints would have said, get out of here. What are you talking about? If he's retired, even though he's still under contract with you right. and he's not going to coach your football team, does that somehow create more incentive to make that trade with Miami because you're not going to get him, So you might as well get something for him. Yeah, I just, to me, from Sean Payton's point of view, I'm just not sure what's so great about the Miami coaching gig, even if it's coaching Tom Brady for a year or two, and even the Dallas one. I, the, the Dallas one is a little bit more understandable just because of what an crazy market that is and, you know, America's team and all that kind of stuff. But still, it feels like Sean Payton had it pretty good in New Orleans. Yeah, I, I know his his family, his kids are in either in Dallas or somewhere in Texas. Right. So anyway, all right, you ready for my number one on my list? Let's do it. What do we got? High drama. You ready? We'll drum yep. roll. Arch Manning. Oh, Arch right? Manning. Think about this. For the first time ever, we're talking about a true bidding war for a high school athlete. The unquestioned top recruit, everybody's going after him all this NIL money that's being floated around, how much money would one star quarterback mean to the University of Alabama, to the University of Florida, wherever you want to try and place him? Because I would argue a lot more than even what they're talking about. I think he's the money that's being talked about right now uh, is about 2 million for a high school kid to come and play somewhere. 
I, I think if you really put a pencil and paper to it, really put a pencil and paper to what the possibility of Arch Manning, he's going to have three shots at winning national championships, would mean to the value of the donations, the right. ticket sales, the jersey sales, the interest in, the ability to recruit top students and athletes across the board, what the real value of Arch Manning could be would be so far in excess of $2 million. Yeah. It would be almost impossible to put a number on it. Yeah. But for the first time, we are going to find out where a college bidding war would land for the value of the best high school player. I think that's the big point that you brought up is not, not necessarily what Arch Manning individually can do to win somebody a national championship, but it's the recruiting classes that are going to come with Arch Manning, right? And our, for people that don't know, Arch Manning is Cooper Manning's son, right? So Cooper Manning was the, the forgotten brother, the third guy. He was Peyton Manning's wide receiver back in high school before he got injured or, or yeah, an illness or something. Yeah. yeah. And, and had to retire. So Arch Manning effectively is the quarterbacking brain of Peyton Manning and Eli Manning, but with the athleticism of a dude that used to play wide receiver, who's, you know, like add athleticism to Peyton Manning. That's what we're talking about here as a high school recruit. Um, and I remember hearing about Peyton Manning's recruitment, you know, back in the day. And like the first thing Peyton Manning did when he finally decided that he was going to go to Tennessee was get straight on the phone and start calling up all these other recruits and saying, all right, let's go, like, let's come to Tennessee and let's go win something. So it's not just like getting Arch Manning and what he means for your, your uh, program. It's going to be like, that dude is going to be individually responsible for you getting catapulted up the recruiting class ranks. Like, okay, Alabama doesn't necessarily have problems there, but like if you're trying to challenge for a national title in the next few years, he's going to give you the recruiting classes to be able to do that and probably the quarterback to be able to do it. So you're right. I, I don't know if you can put, I don't know if you can put a number to that. I don't think you can. I, I'll give you an example. One time when I, I did 10 years of talk radio in Cincinnati, and one time I made a statement about the, the general fund donations to the university being impacted by Kentucky winning a national championship. I said, I bet you it's two or three times what it is ordinarily. I spent an entire three-hour show on the phone with callers getting abused in a way <laughs> that it was hard to imagine even for me. And I've been abused for multiple things over the course of my career. But this one was off the charts, three straight hours. So there's, you're like, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. Maybe the sports fund might get, but the general fund for buildings and for you're like, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Next day I call the university of Kentucky and I go, listen, I, I, last night on the radio show, I was, and they already knew they'd already heard the conversation. <laughs> they already knew what it was. And I said, all right. So not the athletic fund, not that fund, but the general fund of donors to the University of Kentucky for academics and everything else at the university, how much was that impacted by their winning the national championship? Five times. Five times the general, the general donation fund into the University of Kentucky. So if that's the case, and I have no idea how much a university gets donated in a single year. I have no idea. But if it's five times for winning a national championship and you're signing a quarterback that may give you two or three national championships during the course of his run, put a dollar figure on that value as we talk about Arch Manning. I think it's impossible. And I think the number is going to be so much bigger than anybody is putting on it right now. It's going to be startling. Yeah, it is it is going to be crazy. And the other aspect of all this is that the Mannings have always done that recruiting whirlwind process their own way, right? They don't, you know, since, since Archie Manning, they've been set, right? So they don't have to buy into the way it normally works. They don't have to do this the way everybody else does. They can take Think of time. Eli Manning. Eli right. Manning didn't take the, you know, like, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going to the chargers. Yeah, exactly. So they, this process is going to go the way the Mannings want it to go. 
and it's probably going to involve an awful lot of zeros. Oh, God, God love them. That's the Mannings just need a few more dollars, and I think mm. they're going to get over the hump yeah. and be okay, just like Tom Brady. He can just get a few more dollars. Everything's going to be okay in his life, I, I do believe. So there you go. Now it's it's left to you. This is the rebuttal part of the State of the Union speech here where you get to say, all right, that's crazy, or this is, you forgot this on the list and whatever. No, so I had a few of the same ones. Um, I think a lot of those make sense. I, I had a couple of quarterbacks I think should be in the conversation. Um, to me, the make or break season for Daniel Jones, I think is a pretty interesting one. Mm -hmm. Compare, You know, when you pair him up with Brian Dayball and what he was, or what he's being given credit for doing for Josh Allen, you know, it's, it's always hard to know how much of that was him, how much of that is the, the QB guru, how much of it is the QB coach, whatever. Dayball is a guy that gets a lot of credit for the Josh Allen development. Can he get something different out of Daniel Jones than what we've seen over the last couple of years? Um, Trevor Lawrence entering year two. Like this, we talk about Peyton Manning, you know, Trevor Lawrence was talked about as being the best quarterback prospect to come into the NFL since at least Andrew Luck, since maybe Peyton Manning, that's going back to 98, since maybe John Elway, that's what, 83, like the, the term generational player gets thrown around all the time now, but like that is genuinely generational, right? 2012, 98, 83. I mean, that's, that's generational. That's what Trevor Lawrence is supposed to be. And we didn't really see that at all year one for Jacksonville. Now, okay, that environment was toxic and Urban Meyer got, got booted out of the building most of the way through. It was a disaster, but I still think it was significant that we didn't see a ton from Trevor Lawrence year one. Year two is where he kind of needs to show that sort of potential if he's going to justify that kind of uh, hyperbole. ETN comes back. It's all, it's all very interesting. As usual, the National Football League, the great game of football, will keep us entertained nonstop. Uh, the good folks at PFF will be here to try and cover every ounce of it <laughs> as we go along during the season. Sam, as always, thank you. I know you're just getting your feet back on the ground after your trip, but that was fun. Anytime. Thanks for having me.